But uh, we're in Joshua chapter 3. I don't know about you, but I've often heard people talk about, and I'm guilty of it personally, where you, you think about going on vacation, you think about going on a trip, and you find yourself complaining because getting ready to go on a trip is more work than actually sometimes going on the trip, and then you come back from the trip and all the work's piled up, and you're like, oh, and you can barely enjoy, enjoy that vacation or the time away or whatever the trip is. I wrote down on there a question for you. When you pack for a trip, are you somebody who, you're a planner, or are you a last-minute packer? How many, how many would say, I'm definitely a planner, weeks out in advance, I've gotten it, I got it laid out, and you're, you're good to go? How many are the night before, you're still throwing stuff in? The, the moment you're walking out the door, okay. And then we wonder why we get so frustrated when we forget something. What are some of the things that you forget on a consistent basis on a trip? What's that? What do you forget? You forget your movies on a trip? Isn't that part of going on the trip to get away from the movies? No, you gotta watch them in the car. You know, when I was a kid, they never had. <laughs> what else? What do you forget? Teens, adults? The what? The, the bag? Your clothing, certain clothing, your toiletry bag, the cosmetic bag? Toothbrush? Uh, been there, done that. Okay, a finger works great if you need to. I can, I can say from experience, certain age groups tend to forget deodorant on trips, um, and it just, it just tends to happen. You can guess which age group. Seniors, you do pretty good at that. Uh, but we do. We get going. And a lot of times, I'm very thankful I married a planner, so it works out very well for I'm not a planner. But, you know, missions trips are really bad. Teens will be like, yeah, I'm all packed. I'm ready to go. It's a week before. And I'm like, it's three hours before, all right, let's, let's finish getting stuff in. And we, we get to that point, we, we get frustrated sometimes when we forget things. And, and we look at it, now a few years ago, uh, we, we went to our favorite vacation spot down in Florida, and we were getting ready to go, and we, had, uh, we decided, we had told the kids we're gonna go to Disney, we're gonna go to Disney. And after a while, they, were, they just stopped asking because it was like, no, we're not going today, no, we're not going today, no, we're not going today. And, and that was probably my mistake, is even saying we might be going because it never stopped being asked. And uh, we, we decided we were gonna do that little secretive thing, not tell them when it's gonna happen, and then surprise them and say, hey, guess what? We're leaving today to go to Disney. And watching some videos where people are, the kids are crying, some run around the house all excited. So the day finally comes and we're gonna, we're gonna head down to Disney. And uh, we do this little puzzle and Dylan and Zach put the puzzle together and it says, we're going to Disney. And they look, really? What? And that's, that's, that was a response. I'm like, are you kidding me? I put all this effort in and that's, that's what you give me. And then it started to sink in and like, oh, wait, we are going? Really? Yes. Then they got the excitement. Then it was there. I wonder sometimes if I was one of the children of Israel, is that how I would have responded after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years with the, the carrot of the promised land constantly being dangled in front of me, saying, hey, we're going to go here. We're going to go into this promised land. And then finally Joshua comes and says, hey, in three days, we're going to the promised land. Really? No. Do you want to go? Maybe. Yeah, but are we really going to go? And I, I sometimes wonder, is that how some of the, some of the children of Israel reacted? I t you know, some of us, we tend to paint nice, glowy pictures of the of Bible characters and say, no, they were probably all jumping with jubilation and one, you know. But I wonder sometimes if, if that's what they would have done. 
And, and as I was thinking about the passage here in Joshua chapter 3, they, they get to the point, 40 years have gone by, and they're getting ready to go, and Joshua had sent two spies in. We talked about that last week, teens, where they go in, Rahab keeps them safe, hides them on the roof. They're able to get back, and they tell Joshua, hey, Joshua, guess what? We are, we're good to go. The people are trembling. We need to go, and we can take the land. The land is ours. God has given it to us. So Joshua, at the beginning of chapter 3, looks at them and says, okay, great. And he tells the leaders, and the leaders then go to the, the people around the area of the children of Israel, and they start to give them some commands and start to tell them. And it really is a, it really is a time of change in the lives of these, these individuals. There's, there's two major changes that are going to take place in this passage. Now, one has already started to take place, and the other one is, is going, to, going to happen here pretty quickly. The two, the two changes that occur here, the first change is there's, there's going to be a change in location. Now, we look at our lives, and many of us don't like change. Some people love change. Some people despise change. Sometimes change is thrust upon you. All of a sudden, you know, pastor's been going through the series on death and dying. Someone passes away, there's a, there's a change that happens. Sometimes there's a change because of job situation. It, it moves you away. Teens, you're going to, some of you seniors over here, you're going to, in a, in a year or so, you're going to experience a change in location. You're going to go away to college, and life's, life's going to be different. Some of you, you, you have these new changes. Some of you are going to go on a, a trip. You're going to go on a missions trip. You're going to go on a ministry trip. And you're going to change location only for a short time. But we consistently face changes in our life. And the change in location that, that happens here, and most of you knowing the story of, the, of uh, what's going to happen here, is they're, going to, they're, they're literally going to walk from one side of the Jordan River to the other side of the Jordan River. And that's going to be the change in location. They're going to go from outside the promised land to inside the promised land. I was doing some calculations and, and trying to figure it all out. And most people say generally at the, the widest point where the, where the river was, where they believe that Joshua and the, the children of Israel would have potentially crossed, it wouldn't have even been wider than our church property. You know, we think, you know, the Red Sea, this isn't the Red Sea, this is the Jordan River. And they're looking across. So there's, there's going to be this change from one side of our property to the other side of our property, just walking across. But there is this change in location. It was significant to them because now they're walking into that land that had been promised uh, to, their, to their forefathers. So we get this change in, in location. You might, you might be on a business trip. You're going to change location, a vacation. But something different happens. And, and when we, whenever those changes happen, uh, there's, there's some things that we should keep in mind. Now, Joshua here, when, when he's going through, look at the commands that are going to start happening and the, the issues that are, uh, are going to be brought out. Verse number three, that says, verse two says that the officers, the leaders, or the elders of the, the people went out and they commanded the people, verse three, saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, and the priests and the Levites bringing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. So, so he looks and he says, okay, when you see it, you want to set out, you want to follow the Ark of the Covenant. It's going to be leading you. There was not to be a delay. There was not to be, there was to be no wondering and no wavering. They said, when you see it, it's time to go. You don't wonder, oh, well, there goes the Ark. I wonder if that's what they meant. Should we go by now? They're, they're looking and saying, when you see it, you obey. And we talked about at times, teens, where obedience. And, and this, this goes for us as adults, too. Because we, we sometimes tend to think obedience is just a child thing. Obedience is just a teenage thing. Obedience is for all of us, depending on our authority. But obedience is doing what you're told to do. Anybody remember the next part? It's doing what you're, when you're told to do it. 
with the right heart attitude, okay? Doing what you're told to do, when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. And that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. The, there goes the ark. All right, I'm going to follow right now. Not, not, not delaying, not putting it off, but I'm going to go and I'm going to do it with the, with the right heart attitude. I'm like, oh, are you serious? I'm, I'm right in the middle of cooking dinner here. We're going to go into the promised land now? Come on, Joshua, can't you figure out a better time? We need to follow. When, when God says to do something, we follow through. We, we do it. And we, we do it with the right attitude. Now, when they were to follow the ark, Notice that there's a, there's a pattern that, that takes place here. There's the ark, which we know represents the, the God. The, the, pillar, the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke, that's, that's being done away with. There's this new transition that's taking place in the children of Israel. They're going to be following the ark. It's that representation. Where the ark is, that's where God was. And, and they would follow after the ark. And following the ark was the priests. The priests were there. They were the, the spiritual leaders leading the people and saying, we're going to be following God. We want to do that. Then if you look in verse 12, there's another group that's going to, to be the next one in this procession. And it says, and therefore take 12 men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man. One of the male leaders. There was, to be, there was to be male leaders who were next, leading the people. And I don't think that's insignificant. I think that's highlighting a responsibility. Teen guys, adult men, we have a responsibility biblically to be leading uh, individuals in spiritual, spiritual ways. The rest, and then the next one is everyone else is going to follow after, after them. We're, we're not supposed to just simply, uh, as men, just supposed to look around and say, okay, it's not a big deal. No, we're supposed to be exalting Christ. Teen guys, you're supposed to exalt Christ. You're supposed to make him look glorious. You are supposed to set an example. Men, we're to set that example. We're to be magnifying God in our lives and, and exalting him and making, making uh, the fact that we love God and we love others very known to, to others so that we can set that example. Now, that's not saying that if you're not male, you're off the hook. No, you're still to Titus 2. Ladies, you're supposed to set an example as well. To, to others. So we have that responsibility, but as they're marching in, he gives them that order. He says, okay, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, go. And then, then he looks on in a little bit. Now, the next verse, verse four, he says, yet there shall be a space between you, and it shall be about 2,000 2, cubits, or about 3,000 feet, uh, between you and the Ark. Now, when I always thought about this, I'm like, oh, that's right, because you can't touch the ark. It must be because God is so holy, we need to keep such a great distance from him. And, and so that's why I always thought it was in when they set up the tabernacle, there was this great distance from God, which at that point there was. But that's not the reason, Joshua, that, that it's laid out here in the, in the book. Why are they supposed to keep a distance? They, he looks and he says, that you may know the way by which you must go, because you haven't passed this way before. He looks at it, it's a practical instruction. He's telling us to keep our eyes on God. He's saying, as God goes forward, keep your distance because you need to be able to follow him. You're going into a land you've never been. You don't know where you're going. You keep your eyes on him and let him direct your path. Let him be the one who leads you and guides you in your life. It's not, um, uh, I put it down this way. It's less about God's holiness at this point and the proximity of the ark and more about our insufficiency our inability in plotting our own, uh, our own course. We, ironically, God says, hey, keep me in vision. Wherever you're going, team, whatever path you're taking in life, adult, the business the decisions you have to make, 
the choices you have to make for your home. For your, are you going to sell your home? Or are you going to keep your home? Are you going to, to take this new job or not? We have to keep our eyes on the Lord. We have to keep him at the forefront. Ironically, many of us try so hard, we're so woefully inadequate at navigating through the gauntlet of life, but we take our eyes off God because we think we're smart enough to do it. And we, we can't just continually say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to figure it out. But rather looking and saying, what, what does God want me to do? You know, when you, when you think about keeping your eyes on God and the transitions of life, teens, you go to college, find a church, get into church, get involved in church. You go away in the military, get involved in chapel, get there, uh, get in Bible studies, be involved. You, you get married, you move away. You find a church, you're keeping your eyes on God, making sure that you're saying, this is an important aspect and I need to keep my eyes on God. Parents, when we point our kids down the path of life, we need to make sure that we're just not trying to manipulate our agenda in them and saying, well, this is what I want them to do. I've been training them since the time they were three to be this. You know, I have to, I have to be careful. I have to look and say, okay, Zach, I'm gonna train you to be the best preacher ever. What if that's not what God wants for them? And, and most of you would say, that's right, because not everybody's supposed to be a pastor, but everybody's supposed to be an engineer. Well, really? You know, we need to look and say, hey, is, is what I'm driving my kids toward, am I keeping their eyes on God? If I'm taking their eyes off of God and focusing it on money, fame, success, wealth, am I doing what God is desiring for us to be doing? I need to be reflecting and pointing my kids toward God and keeping their, their vision on them. You know, if we were to zoom out, if you were to able to take a drone and start fly, flying it up and fly it up and look at your life over the last three or four days and we were able to see who you follow or what you follow after, what would, what would that reveal? Would it follow, would it show that you have your eyes on Christ, that you have your eyes continually on God or will it show that you're more worried about this, money, fame, uh, sports, your education, not bad things, but are they on God? Making sure we keep our eyes on God. And then, he, then after that, they look at them, they look at them and they say, okay, keep your eyes on God. But then the next one, next part that they say in this transition of, uh, of location here, he says, uh, verse five, Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourself or clean up, consecrate yourself, sanctify yourself. This is where we get into the holiness this is where Joshua says, hey, you need to clean up your life. What's interesting is why he says it. He says, you need to clean up your life because or for, here's the purpose, here's the reason, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. He says, clean up the life because tomorrow something great is going to happen. There was an expectation of greatness. So many times in our lives we wonder, why isn't God answering prayer? Why isn't God doing anything in my life? And yet we know that we're living in sin. We know we haven't been uh, dealing with, with sin in our lives. And we're told to, to clean up, to clean up our lives. You know, we need to make plans not to live for ourselves, but to be living for God's glory, to be doing good works that honor him, that honor others, that, love, that show that we love others. We're supposed to set apart time. He says, set apart time here. Set apart yourself. There was a ritual cleaning that the, the Jews would have went through. There would have been a ceremonial cleaning. They would have been told, okay, clean your garments, clean your body, go scrub up, get yourself pure and ready because you're going into the promised land. Don't touch anything that's, that's unclean. Don't touch unclean animals. If you find a dead body, don't do that. They knew the law. They knew what they were supposed to do. And so now you have two million people 
going and making themselves ceremonially clean, ritually clean in the eyes of God because they were about to enter into a holy place. They were going to be entering into the promised land. And God says, hey, make sure you're clean. Make sure you're right. You know, it, it reminds me of my, my life verse is Psalm 51:13, which some people find a, a little ironic because it's or weird because it's, it's the passage that David writes after a sin with Bathsheba. And the reason, the reason that 51.13 is my life verse is because you have David who's he's blown it. I mean, he's just, he knows he's sinned. And in Psalm 51.13, after he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit in me, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And, and then all of a sudden in verse 13, he says, Then will I teach transgressors your way, and sinners will be converted unto you. It, it amazes me to think that even after all that sin, Joshua says, when I've or David says, when I've purged myself, when I've consecrated myself, when I've gotten rid of the sin in my life, God can still use me. That goes for our lives. You're, you're in a transition. You're moving around. You, you, you go to a different place. You go on a business trip. Guess what? Men, consecrate yourselves. You're away. Consecrate yourselves to purity. You know, you go on a vacation. It doesn't mean we check out from God. But how many of us, when we go on vacation, I've been guilty, the Bible never gets opened. The songs never get listened to that honor Christ. And you've checked out because, well, I'm on vacation. And I get to be on vacation from God too, right? You know? No, I need to consecrate myself to him, to set myself apart, to set, a, set apart time for spiritual disciplines. Now, it's, when, when all this starts happening, the, the people are now getting excited. The anticipation starting to go. They're getting ready to go into the promised land and then Joshua's going to give some more instructions, but God's going to come into the picture here, and we're going to see this next change that's already been occurring in Israel, but they need some validation. The, the next one's a change in leadership. There's, there's going to be a change in leadership that, that takes place. The practical question is, are they going to follow this new leader? Are the children of Israel actually going to say, hey, yes, we're, we're going to follow Joshua? And the communication between God and Joshua and, and all, it really is going to, to lend to this idea. Now, verse 7, he says, And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to magnify you in the sight of Israel, that they may know, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So God looks at Joshua and says, I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to demonstrate to the people that you are my leader. What's interesting is Joshua allowed God to exalt him. Joshua did not exalt himself. Teens, work on in your life. Don't, don't look to say, I need to make sure everybody knows where I'm at, what I'm doing, who I am. It's not about making yourself bigger. It's about making yourself less and God bigger. And we look in our lives, and that's what Joshua did. Joshua looked and said, hey, it's not, it's not me. If, if this is what God wants, then he will bring it. And God takes Joshua and begins to exalt him, to, to lift him up, to, to make him big in the eyes of the people. He says, just like I was with Moses. He says, I'm going to be with you. So, and, and he goes on, he says, God's still the same. God's still the same no matter what the change is, whether it's a change in location or now a change in leadership. You know, we look, we look and I look through the, the scriptures, the people that allow God to exalt them, Joseph. Even Saul, King Saul, when he started, he was, he was very humble. He's, he did not want to take it, but it was pride when it crept in and started thinking how great I am that that's when God had to humble him. And so, so that happened. And then you look at uh, David, same thing. When David was humble, he was exalted. When David got big in his own eyes, there was, there was a humbling 
uh, that took place. When he says, I'm with Moses, or I'm with you, just like I am with Moses, he highlights to, to Joshua and to the children of Israel, yes, there's a leadership change, but I am still the same God. Human leadership will change. It's inevitable. But divine leadership does not. God does not change. Let's be honest. That's a, that is a practical statement that we at Faith Baptist do not want to think about. Am I correct? Now, this, this message was already done before pastor actually told me to preach up here. Is there going to come a day when our human leadership in this church is going to change? It's going to happen. It's unnatural. He's not immortal. Sometimes I think he is, but <laughs> he's all over the place. He's got energy. But the day that happens, we must remind ourselves, God hasn't changed. He has not forsaken us. And that, them 18s, I'm going to just relax. Just take a deep breath. There will be a day where I will not be your youth pastor. It's going to happen. Okay? It's, it, one day it will happen. I'm not, don't worry, it's not an announcement. Okay? But God doesn't change. You don't have your eyes on me. We have our eyes on God. That's the whole point of what Joshua, we're going into this land. This transition is happening. Keep our eyes in the right spot. We keep our eyes on God. We keep our eyes on our spiritual disciplines of getting into the word, of reading, of praying, of following godly leadership and allowing them uh, to, to lead us. And then Joshua does something here, which I think is really, really cool and really important when we, when we learn things. Verse number nine, he says, hey, everybody come here. Now, what's interesting, I don't know how he does this. There's two million of these people. I mean, is he like, hey, everybody, let's huddle around the Jordan. How does, how does that work? I don't know. Did he just bring the leaders in and they went out? Maybe, possibly. But he looks and says, hey, come here. Let me tell you something. Verse 9. He says, come hither. Hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, hereby you're going to know, this is how you know that God is alive and among us. He's going to drive out all the Canaanites out of the land. The Ark of the Covenant, verse 11, is going to go in and it's going to pass beyond over the Jordan. And we're going to go through and we're going to, we're going to go through and the soles of our feet, they're, they're going to go through on dry ground. Just like we did with the Red Sea, we're going to do it now in, in the land of uh, the, over the Jordan River into the promised land. So he looks and he says, I'm going to drive them out. They're, the Jordan's going to be cut off, verse 13. The, the Jordan River for roughly 18 miles north is where Adam is, where it talks about down in uh, uh, verse number 16. You're, you're talking mainly roughly 18 miles north. The Jordan River ceases. When they walk into the Jordan, the river stops. Some will say, well, there was a great earthquake that happened. It even talks about the tributaries flowing into the Jordan stopping. It didn't just stop the Jordan 18 miles up there. God stopped it. God dries up the land and allows two million people in one day to cross our property. That's a feat in and of itself to just think about. But God in his great grace and his mercy allows the people to, to go through that. But Joshua is looking and saying, let me tell you what God has told me. He's communicating with his people. He's, he's casting a vision because the people have to get behind this still. They're still wondering is Joshua really the guy? But Joshua comes in with this communication, with casting a vision and saying, this is where we need to go. This is important. You need to do this. Let's go. When the Ark of the Covenant, we're all going. We're going to keep our eyes on the Ark. We're going to keep our eyes on God. And we're going to go into this time of transition, this time of change. But we're not going to, we're not going to take our eyes off of God. 
And so Joshua communicates that to the people. The people begin to rally. It's, it's great points of leadership, even in our lives. That when you're put in a, a situation like Joshua, listen to authority. You might be in a position of leadership at work. Listen to your authority. You might be a, a manager at Dairy Queen. You, be, you know what? You listen to your authorities, and then you need to be able to communicate what your, you, what your boss says to you to the other people. So learn to do that. Learn to pass on the information that you learn. Learn to cast a vision. And when I, when I started thinking about this whole story of everything that's happening here, because chapter three really is a transition in the book, because you're going to go from everything that's happening in the wilderness, and then you get to chapter four, and we're on this side, we're going to set up memorials, and now we're going to go into Jericho, and we're going to take it down. Chapter three is just a transition, but it's such a vital part because it highlights the importance of the seasons of change. It teaches us about change. Whether you're experiencing the, the changes of life, I, I, I wanted to call it when, you're time, when it's time to change, and I, but I can't do that because every time I do that, teens, you've probably never seen the Brady Bunch one, but where Peter's voice starts cracking and they sing, you know, when it's time to change, you know, and I just, but it, when we hit those times of change, what do we do? It could be change that some of you are facing with the death of a loved one. It's changed. Leadership in the home has changed. All of a sudden, your spouse isn't there anymore, and now you have new responsibilities. For some of you teens, you go through it. All of a sudden, there's a divorce in the home, and there's change in leadership structure. What's going on? What do I do? For some of us, we, we experience changes in our lives, new, new jobs. We, we might be going on trips. We might have opportunities. The Lord may pick us up and move us halfway across the country. When those moments of change happen, what are some truths that we can quickly pull out from this passage? Number one, I believe we can say this. We are not given the excuse to disobey God. Just because we're moving on doesn't mean we can just go, hey, life changed. You know what? It's easy to sway at that point. They could look and say, well, we're going into this land. Canaanites, man, there's, there's a lot of sin and nastiness in there. And God can't really expect us to live righteously in that place. No, he does. Just because you change, just because you go on vacation, just because you go away on a business trip, just because you go away to college, just because you join the military, and that's just, you're saying, well, everybody in the military is this way, so I get to just do this. No, you do not have the excuse then to disobey God. Number two, we must make sure uh, not to disconnect from God. Times in the word of God, finding a church, keeping your eyes forward, not on the ark, but on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking forward and saying, that's where I need to keep my eyes. Keep my eyes forward. Keep my eyes on the word. You find a church. You stay in church. You find godly leaders. You find other mentors who can help you, to sharpen you, to make you more like Christ. Number three, don't allow your life to fall uh, into spiritual disarray. It's easy when you start disconnecting from, from God to allow your life to just fall apart. It's, oh, it's, I can't, there's no way I can get it fixed up. No, you consecrate yourself. You clean it up. You experience personal revival. You repent. You say, no, this sin was wrong. I need to pick myself up, trust in God, experience his grace, and go forward and keep my eyes on him. Don't just look and say, it's too late. The just man falls 70 times and gets himself back up, and he goes forward. You, you focus on God. Number four, don't be disillusioned. Don't be disillusioned with you and your situation. Allow God to lift you up. Now, this one might sound a little harsh, but sometimes when change happens, especially when it's changed for the worse, 
we, we tend to want everybody to think about us. And we get our eyes completely on ourselves. Do you know how bad it is for me? Do you know what's happening to me? Do you know how difficult this is for me? Do you know all the things that I'm going through? And, and granted, there are times that we need to hear some of that from people. But also remember to keep your eyes on others during that time. Joshua is going through a moment in his life where I can only imagine the gut-wrenching feeling to walk in, Joshua, you're the leader of these two million people, my people, but they don't really know if they want to follow you yet. And by the way, you're following Moses, who is the greatest prophet ever and the most humble and meek man you've ever met and you will ever meet. And I want you to fill his shoes. I would have run, I would have found the nearest bathroom and I would have been vomiting, pure from, from pure anxiety. And yet I look and say, okay, it wasn't Joshua said, God, you're in control. You will lift me up. You will do it. He didn't think more of himself. He thought less of himself. And number five, don't forsake your spiritual disciplines. Even when it's hard, uh, I, pastor mentioned, I started taking up running and enjoying that. And uh, there are moments in the mornings I don't want to get up and run. I used to think who in their right mind would ever want to get up and run. I still think that about myself at times. Like, why would I want to do that? But I know it's necessary if I want to run the race. Otherwise, it's going, I'm going to look like that guy who's everybody's like, why are you out here? And, and I have to do it. It's no different for our spiritual exercises, our spiritual disciplines. There are times that reading your Bible is hard. Do it anyway. Teens, there are times that praying is going to be hard. Do it anyway. There are times that getting up for church is hard. Do it anyway. Do not forsake, especially in times of change, do not forsake your spiritual disciplines. Allow that, those, those truths to seep into our lives. And as we go through those times of change, let's focus on God. Keep our eyes up and make sure that he's our focus, not, not we ourselves.